Let me just say this before we pray. This ministry 33 years ago was founded by David Wilkerson. God put it upon his heart to come right to the center of New York City. And from Pastor David to Pastor Carter Conlon, there has really been a, um, a prophetic voice that has come from this pulpit, a prophetic word that has spoken not only that I would say to the church here, but to the church around the country and around the world. I'm not prophetic, but I see something coming to our country and to the church that I want to share with you today that God has put upon my heart. And I want you to pray with me. I'm, I'm in a sense going to step out of a comfort zone for me to share with what God I think is putting upon my heart and believing. And, and when we finish today, we are going to finish knowing like Greg was leading us today about, about in that very first song that in the good times and even in the bad times, he is still God. He is still God. Would you pray with me, Father? Right now in your name, I believe, Lord God, that, Father, what we're facing as a country is, is something that you're doing. It, it's, it, as somebody has asked me, Lord God, they, they're asking, is this the judgment of God? Is this the, is this the end times? I know, God, that you're speaking to us as a church. You're speaking to your church that this is a wake-up call for us. So God, would you sober us? Would you prepare us? Would you speak directly to us? God, I, I ask you, I step out in faith today, needing your touch, needing your anointing. I stand on the, on the backs of giants like Pastor Carter and Pastor David. And God, would you today, I've asked you this today, Lord God, would you take this little lunch, this, these, these couple of fishes and loaves, and would you feed the multitudes today? The multitudes, not only at our incredible church right here, Lord God, at the center of this pandemic, but Lord God, around the world, touch your body, touch the church, touch the church, your church, Lord God, the body of Christ today. I believe that you're going to do something. You're going to speak to, speak to something that is happening, Lord God, larger. Help us to see larger, Lord God. Help us to see like you see in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Grant and Emily. Thank you, Greg and team. I want to talk to you today. I want you to prepare your hearts. I heard two conversations this weekend that started my heart on this journey that God started to confirm some things inside of me that I want to speak both um, with, with real clarity today. Um, but for me, as these two, in a sense, uh, very, very, wouldn't be negative, but really just dark conversations started to take place. Got, got me thinking that this is too much of what's going on. So I kept thinking, then what are you doing, God? Because it just seems to get thrown. Just, it's almost like we're on this, like an Ironman triathlon. As soon as you finish swimming two miles, then you got to get on a bike and ride 170 miles. And as soon as you get off the bike, it seems like we get hit with another thing. And now you've got to run an entire marathon. And it just doesn't seem to stop. But I kept thinking to myself, God, you're doing something in all this. And I started to see it differently. I, I think sometimes Satan overplays his hand to let us know that this may not be really what the enemy is doing, but God is doing something larger in this specific moment. And listening to an older couple as I was um, bringing my older daughter, as we were getting moving parts of the family in and getting ready to come to New York City, they kept saying on the plane and hearing despair in their voice, they're saying, now uh, the Met here and some of the other places are now talking about here in New York City of canceling all of the 
all of their uh, spring shows now. We, we learned that they're canceling all fall shows. And then we heard something this weekend that now Broadway is thinking that we're going to start to cancel all of our spring shows. The fall is canceled. And all of this going on is in a city that seems to stay shut down and a world. So I kept thinking to myself, what does this mean for us as a church? But what does it mean for the church? I was thinking about something Jack Taylor said some years ago. He said this, if the crisis we have been in continues or the problem continues and is not yet solved, it means we haven't had God's final word on the matter just yet. And I think God has a word for us in this, in this season. Because while everybody is asking, when will, when will we reopen or when will the church reopen? Is this Satan or is this God? I have no doubt we're in a crisis in the country and around the world. But I think this is not simply a crisis for the church. Listen, listen carefully. I think there's a plot twist here. I think God is doing something that I want us to see larger what God is doing. I remember getting on a plane some years ago flying to the West Coast, and it was going to be about a three and a half hour flight. And when the, there was some heavy wind gusts, but the plane was still going to take off, but the pilot got on and said this, he said, um, on this long flight, we apologize. We can't have the lift go up with the snacks for the plane. So you're going to have to fly three and a half hours with no snacks. Well, you would have thought that it was like the end of the world with no snacks, three and a half hour with no snacks. What was interesting to me is no snacks, but the plane was going to get ready to take off. Think about that for just a moment. There was, the wind was so strong that they couldn't bring the snack cart up, but the wind was strong, and that yet the plane would be able to take off at that moment. Well, me, I wasn't so worried about the snacks. I wanted to make sure those tons would get up in the air. So I, I had a question for the pilot that moment. I said, if the snacks can't get up, how in the world are you going to get the plane up? Which, let me just tell you, is a pretty valid question. And here's what's crazy. This is what the pilot told me. He says, let me just tell you something about aviation. When a plane takes off, they don't fly with the wind. They fly into the wind. And the lift, when they fly into the wind, it's the lift of the wind that brings the plane up. The wind creates lift to bring the plane up to the altitude it's supposed to go. Listen now, people. Listen now. We are in a lift moment as we're going through contrary winds right now. That what seems to be contrary, I believe, is God actually lifting us up to the place he wants us to go. What seems to be, what everybody else is worried about going, it's stopping the church. God goes, no, 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 no. I'm lifting the church to where it's supposed to be. See, we as the church seem to be heading into a wind these last, these last months. And let me just let you know, body of Christ, um, you may not get the snacks that you're used to, but you are going to get lift as the body of Christ. You can put aside the biscotti cookies. Those aren't there anymore. But what God wants to do is get us higher than we've ever been before. The church is about to go to a brand new place. See, possibly canceling spring shows on Broadway and at the Met as restaurants here are in dire straits, not knowing if they're going to have in-house in, in dining on them. They were even talking about nobody going inside of a restaurant even until January. And I know that's getting even played around with. Another, they're even talking about another surge, the CDC coming um, due to school, the weather, and flu season. And I just want to say to you, welcome to the church that's going into contrary wind, but welcome to the body of Christ that's about to go higher than we've ever been before. 
This crisis seems to be getting the snack carts shut down for the church, but the church is getting ready to go high, get ready to go far, and getting ready to go into the future. That's why I always remember this. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl said it like this. In times of crisis, people find meaning. People find meaning. They find what true meaning is. And that's why you never have real change unless you have a time of crisis. Unless you have contrary winds, you'll never find change. You'll be disgrounded. And I think a church that has been grounded is about to find flight again. See, that's why, always keep this in mind, body of Christ. You're not made in a crisis, but you're revealed in a crisis. It's a crisis, crisis doesn't simply make us, it reveals us. And that's what I think God is beginning to do. When you, when you, one man said it like this, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. When you, when you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. When a human begins to get squeezed, you get whatever is inside, the positive or the negative. And that's what God is doing now. He is squeezing us as the church. And this is a good, this is a good moment for us. This is a contrary wind that God is creating lift. And I started to think about how God began to do that work in the book of Acts. How did God advance that first church, that early church in the book of Acts? See, Jesus's plan to begin to expand his kingdom was laid out in Acts 1.8. He said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And then he starts with this, in Jerusalem, Phase one, we, we, we know that word phase. Phase one, Jerusalem. Phase two, Judea and Samaria nationally. Ju Jerusalem locally. Judea and Samaria nationally. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That was phase three. Think, think about that. There were three regions the gospel was to reach. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria was a, was a second region. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to think about this for a moment. In Acts 2, the church starts in Jerusalem, the first church. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in an upper room. It's the baptism of fire that, see, that comes down. I think something like that day of Pentecost happened even for us at the turn of the century. Historically, it started in a Los Angeles street called Azusa Street. Um, William Seymour, and then again in, in the Welch revivals that God began to do something, it seemed like an upper room a, 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 at the turn of the century where the fire of God started to be poured, poured out and swept the church and literally began to sweep the country. But God wasn't done because God had a phase two of this Acts 1-8 that he needed to accomplish. And that was still on the docket, was phase two. He was going to get the church moving to a brand new place that has never been before. He literally needed to create a contrary wind to get lift. And this time, here it is, not through an upper room, but through a brand new method. How did God advance the church to phase two, the Judea Samaria? That's the second part, phase two of Acts 1-8. It was really, we're told this, here it comes, the contrary winds of Acts chapter 8. Because Acts 8 is the church moving forward, contrary winds, through persecution. God goes, I'm going to create something so contrary to the church, contrary to the gospel, that literally what you think is the enemy, what you think is Satan, is actually, with, with the apostle who is the, we know is the apostle Paul, but Saul at that time, before he becomes a Christian, literally leading the charge of the contrary winds. And, and let, me just, let me just tell you what, something really important, just as a side note. 
Don't get used to one way, the only one way that God speaks. God moved his church through an upper room in the baptism of the spirit. And then he says, I'm going to speak another way. I'm going to come in providentially through persecution. Sometimes we think he can only do it in an upper room in the four walls of a church. And God goes, I, I can advance my church without any walls. You can lock the doors of the church and I can still advance it. Sometimes we get used to everything happening inside our upper room that we forget that God sends a crisis and makes the church even grow larger. Listen to what it says in Acts 8. It says Saul was in hearty agreement. This was Saul, for those that don't know, was eventually going to become the Apostle Paul in the next chapter. In hearty agreement with putting him, meaning Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution, they're the contrary winds that's about to create lift, began against the church in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, phase one, starting from an upper room, God goes, now we got to get to phase two for what I need to do in my church. Contrary winds, persecution, great persecution. And they were all scattered. That was their churches closed. 25%, no children's ministry, can't come into a building. Their scattering moment that they couldn't meet together. This is where they can't meet together. Scattered through the regions. You ready for these words? Of Judea and Samaria. Does that ring a bell? That's Acts 1-8. That's phase two. God goes, I'm doing something here. And they were all scattered through the regions. God knew what he was doing. Contrary winds was creating lift and sending the church further than Jerusalem through this contrary wind called per, the great persecution through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, which means the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but God was about to do something. Therefore, watch this. Those who had been scattered, church closed, went about preaching the words. Oh my goodness. This is incredible. Persecution scattered the church and was actually growing the church. That's what's amazing to me. What everyone thought was contrary winds, God goes, mm -mm, that's not my final word. My people think the final word is persecution. God goes, final word is we're going to accomplish phase two as we begin to go through this. But here's the part that I want to challenge us. I think Grant and Emily being part and seeing them beginning to direct and lead our next gen. What Summit is doing under Dr. Teresa Conlon is so important because here's what I believe. What prepared the church for the Acts 8 crisis? Keep that word in mind. I believe it was the process of Acts 2. Let me say those words again. That what prepared the church for crisis was the process and this, these are two important words I want you to see, crisis and process. What prepared the church for a great persecution was a process of Acts chapter 2. See, crisis isn't crushing when we have faithful processes in place that God has given to us. See, here is where they had, they had some things in place before this persecution, in fact, their process words that you're going to see are words like continually devoting themselves day by day, things that were happening um, on a rhythm that was continually taking place. Let me read it to you. So when the church was birthed, God began to put a process in there to prepare them for what was coming. Listen to the words. They were, this is Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves. This is, this is the process. These are process words continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who believed were together and our old things in common. They began selling um, their property and possessions and were sharing them all as, every, as anyone might have need. Here's another process where day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Think of those two words again, process and crisis. Because you, if, if you take one from the other, you really start to create um, a dangerous pattern. Let me, let me say it like this. Without the day-to-day processes, crisis becomes emotional and people come out of crisis damaged and bitter. Let me just say that again. Because when, without a day-to-day, without those acts to process, meeting together, growing in the word, fellowship, breaking bread, the giving, the generosity. If you just live and walk into a crisis without those in place, then you watch people become emotional and crisis damages and makes people bitter. But I think the other part is process people without crisis are insulated people. They're clueless and have no idea what's happening even in the world around them. They just want to get to church and forget what's even going on around the world. The day-to-day processes help us grow through the crisis. Let Let me say it like this. I want you to get this down. Crisis gives you depth on a journey. Process gives you length on the journey. The, process, the, the crisis is what deepens us. Those painful moments. The crisis can be personal, such as sickness, an untimely death. Some have gone through a divorce, a prodigal wayward child. And in those times, the process, time in the word, time of fellowship, time in prayer each day, keeps us grounded in crisis. The crisis that Cindy and I have faced and 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 things that we have gone through. It is those processes of stay in the word, stay connected to the body of Christ, stay in fellowship. Those things have grounded us in crisis and will ground his church. Remember, it is crisis that will give you depth, but it's process that will give you length. And this is so important. In fact, you see it in the life of Jesus. I was doing a podcast on preaching and I and and um, partnering with World Challenge and uh, Gary Wilkerson, and we're we're with different pastors from around the country. We're working on something for preaching and for pastors worldwide. And and my one of my uh, assignments was preaching and prayer. And the verse that I spoke on was a verse that has helped me in my day-to-day process. And um, I'll go further with this and deeper into this at some other point. But this verse has helped me in the prayer part of the process to face crisis. And it was really the pattern that Jesus used to pray. Let me read it to you. It's Mark 135. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. That verse has helped me. There's, there's, there's about three or four things that has helped me to be that process man, to face any crisis, to go, I need to learn from the life and the prayer of the, the, how Jesus prayed in my own life to get, those, to get those disciplines in my own life. But what makes that verse powerful of Jesus getting up early in the morning to pray? Follow me with this for a moment. I, I just saw this this week in the scriptures. Um, is what happens the few verses before he gets up early. It's crisis. That literally, 
that though you face crisis, you've got to have the process there. Listen to the first, the, the, the three verses before that. This is Mark 132. When evening came, remember now, this is nighttime. After the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, those who were demon possessed. And here's what it says. At night, the whole city gathered at the door. This, an entire city at nighttime. This wasn't, this wasn't throughout the day. This is evening. And it says, and he healed many who were ill, many with various diseases, cast out many demons. And he was not even permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Crisis hit, hits Jesus here. Healing service started at night in the evening. And he, and he knew he could not meet the crisis of people if he didn't meet the father in the morning for the process. He knew he couldn't face an entire city of people that, that are bringing out the demonic and the ill if he didn't have the right things in place. If he wasn't, like, like Acts 2 says, steadfastly devoted, day-to-day fellowship with the Father. That was Mark one thirty-five. See, the crisis was the whole city coming to Jesus. The crisis is, is that he has to heal many late at night. He has to cast out many demons. And then after that verse, Mark one thirty four comes one thirty five, which starts off, off like this, and getting up early in the morning. Why? Because Jesus, in order to face that still, in order to face crisis, he still had it to meet with the Father every single morning. And if Jesus has to do that, how much more do I have to do that? Then in order to face the crisis, folks, we have many, like Pastor Patrick was talking about, that are in quarantine, many that are going into depression, many that are facing so many different challenges right now. If we're not process people getting day to day before the Father, how do we face? If that's what Jesus did, how in the world are we going to do it without that? And that's why I believe this. This crisis we are in is bigger than a virus. It's bigger than a, than, than a COVID-19 because I believe God is up to something that he is preparing that the contrary wins is getting us as Times Square Church, but the church higher than it's ever been because I believe this pandemic is preparing us for a crisis, but I don't believe this pandemic is the crisis. Let me say this again. I don't want you to hear me. Let me step on some, some very, very, um, new ground for myself. This pandemic is preparing us for a crisis, but this pandemic is not the crisis that people are trying to rush back into church. What is the crisis that is coming? I believe there is coming a persecution to the church like Acts chapter eight. I believe from what I see taking place around me, our country is turning away from God. We are living in an anti-Christ culture right now. There are lawsuits being filed all over from the West Coast. We want to go in. They're saying on the West Coast, you can't even, if you go into the building, you can't even sing what we just did today. You can't even sing inside the church. And they're losing the lawsuits today. Listen, I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart that in less than five years, our country are going to turn on the church, the Bible preaching pastor in the pulpit will be seen as hate speech and will be fined, imprisoned, and even shut down. We're not going to be shut down, folks, by a pandemic, but I'm telling you there is something coming that God is wanting to prepare us right now for. While we're worried about trying to find a vaccine, we've got to get prepared for what's coming down the pike. 
See, this pandemic is not about a virus. It's about God preparing us for a persecution. That's what he's doing. Listen, we, don't, we know how to do upper room. Come Holy Spirit, come fire of God. We don't know how to do Acts 8 in persecution. We know how to do upper room and meet in the church, get the choir singing and call people to an altar. But I'm not really sure we know how to do Acts 8. And God is getting ready, the, getting the church ready for a church without the building. Let me say that again. He's getting into our DNA how to have church without a building. What, what is the process? Remember process crisis. What is the process TSC is learning in this season to prepare us for the next? See, if you're waiting, let me listen for some of you because I know you're going to get angry at this, but that's okay because you're not here, so I can't. If you're waiting to get back to normal, it's not going to happen. This is, listen, this is not an interruption for us to wait to get back to normal. This is a disruption time that we are being challenged to get prepared. This is not an interruption. This is a disruption that I believe is even God caused to prepare us for a coming crisis that's getting ready to take place. And the question is this, as a church, and I, and I want you to hear this today, Times Square Church, let me speak to you. Let me speak to churches even that are, that are listening and leaders that are, that, are, that are listening today. How are we preparing? I think God has asked us to prepare through small groups and even the digital to get that together. Because when the building shuts down, I think through the small groups of fellowship and digital of putting things online is literally going to be a new normal that God is doing in the church today. I, I know for some of you, that's like, that's like nails on a, on a blackboard. But I am telling you what I feel in my spirit, that just as the early church found a way to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, we at TSC have to do the same. The church has to do the same. Not just us right here in New York City. That as they were continually, verse 42, follow, devoting themselves to, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer, at Times Square Church, I know for us, we have to devote ourselves to the word. Don't take Sundays lightly because you're not in the building. You've got to get into the word. That's the process. Don't take, now listen, fellowship and the breaking of bread, which are going to come through connect groups. I'll talk about in a second. Do not take that lightly. Do not just go over because we want to give you something to text here because this is something that's going to touch us in the, tri, in, in, in the five boroughs, the tri-state area, and even worldwide. And even prayer. These are all from Acts 2.42. That I believe the word, fellowship and breaking of bread, those three things, and prayer, which is the Tuesday night prayer meetings. This Tuesday night, we're going to be praying for our students from children to, to, to high school and junior high to college summit. We want to pray for all those who are getting ready to enter into a new normal. So this Tuesday night at the, at the worldwide prayer meeting, we'll be doing that. And even the Plymouth prayer meeting that Pastor Carter is going to get ready to lead us in and lead the nation in, in a time of forgiveness and repentance. That's coming October 6th um, on, on Lord, forgive us. We want you to click and go to that and join us on that October 6th. To leaders around the world, listen to me. To pastors and churches around the world. Be careful, pastor, of simply trying to rush back to a live service without getting the things right inside of our church. Be careful of going, let's just turn the microphone on and open up the door. And, and God is giving us a moment to prepare us for the coming crisis with saying, get the processes correct here. That 
crisis that is coming, I believe, to our country. It doesn't matter who gets elected. I'm telling you, it's coming. That crisis, so while you're going like, let's get Trump, let's get Biden, folks, it has nothing to do with that. That crisis will expand the church and not crush the church. Just as it did in Acts chapter eight, what they thought was scattering, what people think is a pandemic, so they called it a scatter, the great persecution, scattered the church. God goes, it's just phase two to get to Judea and Samaria. I believe the contrary winds that are coming is going to lift the church to the place it's supposed to be. Listen, if you don't see, if you don't see it that way and want to rush back into a building, I'm telling you, you will be out of a building in less than five years and didn't get the process in place. If all you want to do is go, let's have church. Let's get in there. We'll figure it out. You're, you're, it's dangerous if you're not getting the process correctly. We have, the, we have people, we have Christians, um, believers in Christ on the radical right calling this a scamdemic. Um, and people trying to give me all the conspiracy theories that the CDC is saying and what this is all about. And then you have people on the radical left um, that, that, that are that being accused of trying to steal an election with COVID scare. Folks, listen to me close. <laughs> we are the church of Jesus Christ. We're not the right. We're not the left. We are the people of God. That's what we are. The godly have to see this season differently. God is getting us ready for a move of God. And let me just say this. I believe God is getting us ready for a move in these next five years. A move, you ready for this? Without names except one name. And that name is above every other name. Think for a moment that missiologists are saying today that the country that has the greatest and the biggest population of Christians today Bible-believing Christians today, you ready for this? It's China. China. May I remind you that it's illegal to be a Christian in China. And here's what's amazing. The largest populations of Christian is in a country that has the greatest, one of the greatest persecutions against the church. Here's the question I want to pose to you. Name me one church in China. You can't. Name me one big pastor in China. You can't. Why? Because it's all God. It's God going, let me, it's God saying, I don't want the stars to outshine the sun. Folks, we are coming to a time, it's not going to be about Times Square Church, David Wilkerson, Carter Conlon, or myself. Jesus is going to be lifted up. And God is, when God does that, when an Acts 8 comes, God goes, I'm about to get the glory. No more big names and big churches, but a big God is going to be seen. God is going, I believe, to come and do something through contrary winds in this country. We'll, we'll keep you updated on us opening up, but I have to tell you this. The most important thing I can keep you updated on is the processes that are being in place which is the Acts 2.42. That's what Acts 2 is what prepared them for Acts 8. That's why I want to challenge you today. Listen, we are asking people not only here in the church, but even around the world to get connected and lead a small group. I believe this is one of the processes. This is the breaking of bread and the fellowship that Acts 2 is talking about. And, and to get connected and lead a small group. It, it doesn't mean you're committed, but I want you to visit TSC 
nyc forward slash groups. I want you to do that. I want you to be con- to consider, even if you're in another country and going like, I can't even get to Times Square Church. It may be you hosting a watch party inside of your home. And it's still us. It's still the church being the church, even though the doors may not be open. I believe it's us getting the process in place when the crisis begins to come. And I want you to begin to do that, to get connected, to lead, not just join. This is not a joining yet. We'll get to that. This is leading a small group. So to go to our website, I want you to really consider that. I think that's one of the processes. I think one of the processes, that's the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Sundays will be the sermon part and, and, and on Tuesdays. And then Tuesdays nights will be the worldwide prayer meeting. There'll be prayer and breaking of bread. These connect groups are so important. And that my goal right now is not to get us back into a building so fast. It's to get us ready for what's getting ready to happen. Do you, do you know I just received this the other day? Um, one of the people that helped start Team Challenge with our founder, uh, Pastor David Wilkerson, is his brother, Don Wilkerson, who helped him. This, this is what he posted, that th- just got from him. Listen to this. A person was fined, fi- no, I'm sorry, not fined, fired, for praying for someone at a rehab program. And the rehab program was Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge. A a worker got fired from praying for someone at Teen Challenge, which was started as a result of the cross of the switchblade, the salvation, the born-again part of Nicky Cruz and what God did in his own life. And someone got fired for praying for somebody. And he posted some Teen Challenge programs have become non-faith-based, which was never... David Wilkerson's intention, because they're taking government money, and because they take government money, they're not allowed to pray for anybody. Think of this, folks. That's why I want to say something to you today. The danger of some preachers is that they are reversing what the Apostle Paul said. What do you mean? Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said. So here's the grid. The Apostle Paul said this. He goes, Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. But you know what we're hearing today? It's the opposite. Where grace abounds, sin did much more abound. I'm here to tell you this. That emphasis on sin, but not the great grace of God, has to stop. I don't care how bad it gets. God is good. God is greater. And God is in control. Let me say that again. It's not a matter of, it's not an issue of where grace abounds, sin, sin much more abounds. Don't reverse that. Why? Because it doesn't matter how bad it gets. God is good. God is greater. And God is in control. Not sin. Not the government. Not the pandemic. Not an antichrist. Let me say it again. God is good. God is great. And God is in control. I I, want to finish with this. Talking about grace abounding. God abounding. God bringing us to a crisis. A contrary wind. So one name will be lifted up. Let me tell you a story of someone I had the privilege of leading to Christ. It took a, 11 years, but I had the opportunity for 11 years of sharing the gospel with this person. Names, places, and the past are not the issue, but how she committed her life to Jesus really is that grace abounding issue. I knew her um, over a decade and we did business with her, Cindy and I, and I finally asked her, I said, tell me, how did it happen? How, how did you become born again? How did, how did you finally, after 11 years of sharing, how did it happen? And these, these were her words. 
She said, we talked about Jesus a lot. But I said, but why did you finally commit? And she said, she said this, because I, I was so amazed. She, she was so entrenched in a sinful life and it just stopped. A sinful life that was so destructive. And these were her words. She said, Pastor Tim, you didn't spend the time on telling me how bad I was, but you spent the time on telling me how right Jesus is. And you just kept talking about Jesus. Why wouldn't I commit my life to him? And she said, when I did, I didn't want that other stuff. What she was saying was in essence was that Jesus was so attractive that why would I want to do anything else that's there? And that's, I think, Paul's message to us, the early church's message to us as we're going into this brand new season. No names, no stars, no church names. God becomes the center of attraction. That's what this season is. Let me, let me read to you Ephesians 3, 7, and 8 out of the message of what Paul was saying his life work is. This is these are Paul's words in this paraphrase. It says this, this. Paul says, this is my life work. Helping people understand and respond to this message. The message came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise. God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people, we had no background in God's ways. I was the least qualified, Paul said, of any of the available Christians to go do this. This is what I love. But God saw to it that I was equipped. And you can be sure it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here, this is Paul, I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head because it's the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. The New American Standard calls it the unfathomable riches of Christ. Do you know what, do you know what we're being going to be challenged as as a church? Listen, we're going to be challenged like Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says from Westminster. He says, a great danger confronting us all at the present time is to keep talking about Christianity instead of talking about Jesus. To be talking about the church and not talking about Jesus. Folks, this church can't change anybody. Jesus changes lives. I can't change anybody. Jesus changes lives. Paul said, I just started talking about the unfathomable riches. Christianity has never been about encountering, listen, it's never been about encountering the right church, but the right person, which is Jesus. Telling people how amazing Jesus seems to be is what gets us through this time. I know sin is going to bound, but grace is going to much more abound. I don't want to reverse that. Grace abound, but sin much more. It doesn't matter what the contrary winds are coming to this country. It doesn't matter. Grace is greater. God is greater. God is good. And God is in control. I want people to see the real Jesus, to know the real Jesus, not the 21st century Jesus, not the Western Jesus, not the denominational Jesus, and not the religious Jesus, but the real Jesus. That's what I want them to see. Do you want an impressive record? Someone recently took Jesus and stacked him up against all the greatest painters, musicians, and philosophers. Let me just tell you what it did. This is the real Jesus. 
Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and Jesus for only three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry transcends and impacts more than a hundred and the combined 130 years teaching of all of these other Greek philosophers who are among the greatest philosophers of antiquity, antiquity, and none of them come close to Jesus. Jesus painted no picture, but yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, da Vinci received inspiration from him, but he hasn't painted. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, the scores of the greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, but yet Hayden and Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached to the highest perfection of melodies in hymns and symphonies and, and oreos they composed of his in praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter of Nazareth. His unique contribution to the race of humans is the salvation of the soul. Listen, philosophy could not accomplish that. Art can't accomplish that. Literature can't accomplish that. Music, only Jesus can break the chains. Only Jesus can save us today. Only Jesus can get us through to where we're going. He alone can speak to the human heart, strengthen the weak, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. Only he can, not Aristotle, not Plato, not Bach, not Beethoven, not Milton, not Dante, but one humble Jewish Nazareth carpenter, and his name is Jesus. Spurgeon's words are so important to help us remember how, how Paul was so right in Ephesians chapter 3 that we need to know the real Jesus. Spurgeon said it like this, the Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, needs none of our inventions and discoveries or additions. A plain Christ is a forever Christ, the loveliest Christ. Dress him up and you defame him. Bring him out just as he is, the Christ of God. Nothing else but Christ. That Jesus will do for this, for this time. I don't need a dressed up Jesus. I don't need a Western Jesus. I don't, I don't need a Jesus with skinny ripped up jeans or a Jesus with a suit and a tie. I need a Jesus on the throne. That's what I need. And that's what we're going into. A crisis is coming. Can I tell you the crisis that is going to face every person that's listening to me? I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what, where you are. I don't care if you've not been affected by all this. It's a crisis that every one of us is coming to everyone's life, and it's called eternity. And the only way to face the crisis of death and eternity is to know the real Jesus. The real Jesus. And that can start today. Because you have to answer this question. Am I ready to face that crisis of death? Am I ready to face eternity? Am I ready to die and face God? Where will I spend eternity? So let me ask you the most important question anyone can ever ask you. You have to answer this question. Have I been born again? It's the question. Folks, we don't stand a chance unless we have that relationship with God. And Jesus said, when dealing with the question, how does somebody get to heaven? Because some of us, have not listened to the real Jesus. We've listened to the denominational Jesus. We've listened to the traditional Jesus, but not the same yesterday, today, and forever Jesus. We've dressed it up. Because some are thinking, well, if I was born or baptized, or I took communion, or I went to church, or I'm a good person. All of these are good, but that's not what Jesus said. The real Jesus. The Jesus who cannot lie. Listen close. If anyone knows the directions to his own home, it's going to be Jesus. 
And here's what he said. If you want to, if you want to be with me in heaven, Jesus is home forever. He says, you must, John 3, 5, you must be born again. Not my words, not Times Square Church. Those are Jesus's words. He uses the word, word born again. In fact, he says right before that, John 3, 3, 3, no man will see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Well, Pastor Tim, how do I become born again? It, it really is as simple as ABC. It, th- those three letters really lead us to answering the most important question. What is it, Pastor Tim? It's A, admitting. A, admit that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God and realize that all of us, all of us, have a condition called sin that can't be fixed with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor. We, I can't, we can't fix it. It, we, we need help to fix this. I'm broken on the inside. I'm broken on the inside. The diagnosis is sin and I need help. See, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth, which leads us to the B word, the, the believe. A, admit I'm a sinner. B, believe that God sent his son to fix that sinful condition. I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to put his son through all that pain on the cross that day? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross. But Jesus' death was Jesus being my sin bearer. He would take my sin upon himself, which means he would die the death I should have died because he lived the life I couldn't live and then would give me a reward that I didn't deserve. And finally, it's confessing him. That's when we go public. That's when we begin to confess Jesus. Listen to these words as Lord. Boy, that's a big word. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's where the apostle Paul realized that God was now in charge. That word Lord means you're a boss. You're in charge. You've got the final say. Man, if anyone knows how to, how to help me live now, it is Jesus. It's not me telling Jesus what to do. It's the real Jesus that says, you're in charge now. Do you think that God sent his son to die on the cross simply to get you to sit in a church on a Sunday for an hour or two to sit and watch a webcast? His goal was not simply to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven. His goal was to bring forgiveness. Coming simply to church, coming only to church on Sunday, that's religion. Coming to Jesus, that's a relationship. That's the relationship. Christianity is coming to a person, not a place. To face crisis, this is the process. I want to be born again. And maybe you're listening today. Maybe you're you're a dad going, family, this is what we've needed. Maybe you're sitting there with a girlfriend and you're going, this is what we've been missing in our lives. Maybe you're sitting there as, as an owner of a business, a CEO, so you're an entrepreneur and, and, and you're just going like, hey, knock on wood. Our business hasn't been affected. Let me just tell you something. You can knock on all the wood you want. That's not going to get you anywhere. This has to change today. How does it change, Pastor Tim? I want to pray a born again prayer. I want to pray that God does his work today in your life. Well, Pastor Tim, what do you want me to do? I, here's what I want you to do right now. Just as you had a first birth, Jesus said born again means you need a second birth. 
Your first birth may have been in a hospital physically, but you need a second birth, which is spiritually, and that can happen right now. Pastor Tim, I want to do that. I want to take a step. I want to take that first step, but I'm not perfect. Exactly, none of us are. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And today can be the first step of a journey that you then start the process. I get to have fellowship. I get to pray. I get to walk with God. I get to walk with God's people to prepare us for what's getting ready to take place. But I want you right now to walk in a relationship with God. This is what's amazing about God. He doesn't need this building to get you into a relationship with him. Right where you're at right now. It could be on a couch. It could be in a kitchen. It could be in a fitness center. It could be in a car driving. And you want to make that decision. You're going, I want to decide today that I want to make that decision to follow God. And here's what I want you to do. Wherever you're at, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. And as soon as we say amen, don't turn it off because Pastor David is going to come on and tell you since you made that decision, what a next step is going to be for you. But I want you, wherever you're at, I want you to just close your eyes. And if you're able to, I want you to pray this out loud. Maybe your whole family is going to pray this right now. But would you pray this prayer with me if you need that second birth? Here it is. Dear Lord Jesus, come on, say it with me. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.